0: John fifteen twelve through 17. Um, this is my commandment that you have one another as I have loved you. Or, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of months after I graduated um, from the University of Washington, a couple of friends of mine took me out to dinner to give me a present. Um, I was given this little tiny box uh, and when I it was like had a bow on it and everything. When I opened it, what I found inside was this little pink key with a bunch of red hearts on it, like a house key. And I was like, "What the heck? Like, what the heck is this?" And um, and these two friends lived together um, in the city, like in Seattle. And I had just moved 45 minutes away, south to a smaller city called Tacoma um, to to work at this private university campus. And they knew that in moving to Tacoma, that I had left what had become my home. And by home, I don't mean the dorms or the college living environment or something like that. My my family had all, like the the disparate parts of my family had all sort of moved away at this point into different parts of the country. Um, What they knew is that the friendships within which I felt known and loved, I was leaving behind, like 45 minutes away. Um, And so they gave me this key, (laughs) and these two guys were about 23, 24 years old at the time, um, they told me that every Friday night, they just have this sort of standing thing where they eat dinner together. Uh, the, there's three of them in this apartment. David Chin wasn't one of the guys that gave me this gift, but there's some funny stories there. But, but, but they all just had dinner together on Friday nights. And they said that from this moment on, every single Friday night, they were going to make one extra serving of dinner. And, I, and, and they said, I don't have to come. They're never going to ask me. But that if I ever wanted to, I could just come over and there would always be dinner available for me on a Friday night. And, um, and then they told me that I needed to know that I had a place that was home, even as I moved away. It's an inc- I mean, said, like, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, this semester, we're talking about home and, and what the scriptures have to tell us about our experience of home, our longing for it, our feeling estranged from it. Our experiences of both home and homelessness. And I, I, I submit to you, friends, that, n- that, that perhaps nothing has a greater impact on our experience of home than friendship. And it struck me as we were looking over this whole sermon series in December and January, like, that, that none of the scripture passages that we looked at were just about friendship. And so actually in the whole sermon series outline, there's this week, it's just friendship. And it was like, what verse are we going to use? Uh, be, because f- and we're going to get to some of this, but friendship is not so much a topic that's just talked about on its face. It, it's a little more akin to maybe if somebody said, um, you know, what does Lord of the Rings teach you about friendship? Or What do you learn about friendship from Harry Potter? Like you wouldn't actually go to two sentences. You'd have to sort of look at the whole sweep of the story. You know, and there are examples of friendship in the Bible. Naomi and Ruth, Jonathan and David, Paul and Timothy, Jesus and his friends we'll talk about a little bit tonight. But, but Galatians chapter six at the beginning has some stuff about friendship that's pretty great. Um, I, I was considering all these passages. The Proverbs have some stuff about friendship. Um, but but there was, there's nothing that just kind of like gives you a distillation of it except for maybe the passage you read tonight. Um, but even that is so high and mighty Um, that that it can be a little tough to sink our teeth into, but but we can't not talk about friendship when we talk about home because it has such a tremendous impact on our experiences of home. I don't know how much I'm even gonna bring up the word home the rest of the night. I just wanna make this argument, we'll pray and then we'll talk about friendship, um, that there may be nothing more important or impactful regarding our experience of home than our friendships. Father, tonight would you um, help That the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you. You who are not only our rock and our redeemer, but who are our friend. What a crazy thing to get to say about God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the first century world, um, in, in which we see Jesus in the gospel accounts, Friendship was a particularly dignified kind of relationship. The Greek language even had a particular word for the kind of love which friends share. So there was a word for the love of family, storge. Uh, There's a word for erotic or sexual love, eros. And there's there's this sacrificial and generous love, agape, which is sort of this like, we see this exemplified on the cross in Jesus. But then there's this word for the love of friends. And y'all know the word, actually. You may not know it in its, in its like form, like philos. You, you hear it, though, in the prefix of Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, or the city of brotherly love, we call it. You hear it in suffixes, like in the word logophile, which means lover of words. I am a logophile. Um, I love words, okay? I love words. But I don't love words in the same way that I love my parents or my kids. You see? And, and I I definitely don't love words in the same way that I romantically love my bride. (laughs) Um, And and it's too much. It's just kind of awkward or clunky for me to throw in this massive category, agape, this generous and sacrificial love as if I'm offering my life over uh, to words or something. That's a little bit too big. And and so um, it's actually more like a free and fond kind of love, like the love of friends. And so we use a version of the Greek word philos at the end of logophile. That's a conjugation of the word philos. In English, we can get a little tripped up because we use the word love to talk about all kinds of different things. Famously, for my generation, Rob Bell said, I love my wife and I love tacos. Thank you, sister, for laughing. Um, (laughs) when, When those are said back to back, like I love my wife and I love tacos, when those are said side by side, okay, it can be a little confusing as to what we mean by the word love all of a sudden. Like, if you love your wife and tacos, maybe you don't know what love means or you've seriously misunderstood the importance of one or the other of those things, right? Like, think about how often we use the word love to talk about all kinds of things. But if we, if we drill down into it, if we descend into the particulars of what we mean in any given instance, we probably mean radically different things. I do love my wife differently than I love my kids. And yet, the word is the same, love. Love. Greek language is a little bit harder to get confused by because there's just more precision around the word love. They have four different words that in your New Testaments are gonna get translated love and you actually don't know which of those words those are in Greek because we don't have that many English words for love. Do you see? You guys with me? They had such a reverence, a high reverence for friendship, and they recognized the unique dignity that friendship had that they had a peculiar word just to talk about the love which exists between friends, philos. And what the Scriptures have to say about this, I think, is quite stunning, okay? So, I mean, think about all these words for just a minute. On the one hand, we might expect that if God made us, maybe, I think this is a pretty common way of thinking about God, and maybe even maybe even the divine, but in the Western religions about God, um, for sure, that that God might love us like a parent loves a child. Like maybe there is some sort of overlap there. Father, kids, or something, maybe, I don't know. And you probably know, though, from your own families, that loving a family member does not mean you have to like them. And that could be tough. It can be really tough. But that also speaks to the strength of love which exists in families. You don't get to choose who's in your family. And so people who would never normally be friends or lovers or drawn to each other in any particular way are in families together and love each other. That's crazy. I mean, it's an incredible bond that family love has. And for many of us, I think it's not so difficult to believe that God thinks about us this way, that he might actually love me, but I'm not sure he likes me. You with me? Family love. The Greek word for erotic love, eros, is a little tricky. Eros it actually is not used a single time in the New Testament. And I suspect that's because much like our time today, it's incredibly difficult to see that word used with any kind of dignity and honor. When sexual love is commodified and it's running around like a rabbit pack of wolves in our culture, we, we have a hard time associating. We don't even want to associate that with God. We see this concept in the Old Testament in the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, it might be called in your Bibles. And that does keep this kind of category open for like the kinds of ways that we might imagine God feels about his church corporately. Stick with me for just for a second. That God is attracted to her beauty and drawn to her and wants to be united with her in a way that might quicken his pulse, so to speak. But it's so hard to even imagine this because of how perverted erotic love is in our culture. And, and, and probably it's true in the first century as well, which is why we probably don't see the word eros show up one time in the New Testament. Agape love is probably the one that we speak to most when we talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross. If, if you haven't heard that before, if you're in church long, you probably will. Uh, it's a really big word and it is... Um, it, it, it's it's so it's such a powerful kind of all-encompassing. I give myself to you. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. I give myself to you, kind of love. It is spoken of all the time in the New Testament. It's so blatantly um, forward in its sacrificial and generous quality that if we're familiar with any one of these kinds of loves by by its Greek word, it's probably that one actually. But when do we ever speak of philos? When do we speak of this kind of love, of the love of friends? In our scripture passage this evening, Jesus says that the greatest example of agape love, the greatest example of this generous, sacrificial, other focused giving of myself to to, to recognize the worth and dignity of another. I mean, you have to just keep marshaling language because it's so big. The greatest example of agape is someone who would lay down their life for their phyllos. Isn't that interesting? The greatest example of agape love is someone who would lay down their life for their friend. Someone who would lay down their life for their friends. In other words, love at its deepest level is best displayed not in erotic love or family love. It's best displayed when your life is given in love for your friends. Let me try to bring that home. So I'm married to my wife, as I ought to be. (laughs) Um, And that means that I also ought to love her as my wife. Okay? I, I love her in a kind of familial way in that regard. I also love her romantically. But neither of those I think are particularly surprising, nor do they actually tell you much about the quality of our relationship. If I told all of you that I love her because she's my wife and that I'm attracted to her, well and good. But none of you are moved by that. But if I tell you that she's my friend, and i love her as my friend? i mean do you even just feel that in english a little bit? that seems to stir up something a little different. that it's possible for me to be to be, to honor my wedding vows and to love my wife for the rest of my life and to even be romantically or sexually attracted and drawn to her and love her in that way too but to never be her friend? that that's technically possible. One of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, was reflecting on these four different loves. Um, will somebody run? There's a book on that thing. Matt, you want to get that for me? Thanks. One of my, uh, appreciate it, Matt, intern of the week. Um, yay, go Mox. Um C.S. Lewis was reflecting on these four different definitions of love in Greek um, in this little book called The Four Loves. Thank you. Um, it's this little book here. And one of the chapter, each of the chapters is on a different Greek word and kind of what it meant in its context. Um, And what he he's sort of reflecting on what the scriptures have to say about love in these ways. Um, And and in this, he marvels that friendship is the only kind of relationship that we don't need for survival. For the continuance of the human race, we really do need people of the opposite sex who are attracted to each other. Otherwise, we're just all going to die. Okay. Um, And we need families governed by a kind of storge love. That's the Greek word for family love. We need families governed by a kind of love in order that we can grow up safe and and strong in families. But friendship, it's not technically necessary, like philosophy or art, he says. Then when you begin to sort of question its utility, its pragmatism, it's a little bit tricky. You can actually do without it it has no survival value, he says. Rather, it's just one of those things which gives value to survival. Who would want to do without it? Sure, you could do without art. Why would you want to? Any, by the way, anybody want this? This is a free copy. I got it from a case. I do. Okay, back there. You got it. Um, do, hey, if you're a Christian, you need to learn to accept free things. Um, okay, um, it's grace. It's called grace, friends. Um, Grow in your ability to say yes to gifts. Okay, do my wife and I need to be friends? No, but the more that we are friends, the more joy and value in life we get to experience in our marriage. And if the greatest example of love is somebody laying down their life for their friend, then until my wife and I love each other as friends, we won't experience the greatest example of love in our relationship. Are you with me? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends, which means that we need to be in these friendships with God and with others in order to experience some of the depths of love. Let me say that again. This means that we need to be in friendship with God and with others in order to experience some of the depths of love. In our culture, we are prone to think that we'll experience the most profound love in romance or family friendship is actually where love is most clearly on display and there are so many things i would like to say about this so i'm gonna stick around for a bit afterwards okay but i just want to have two very practical reflections on friendship in order to help you guys grow in this stuff uh, as we round out this sermon tonight first friendship happens shoulder to shoulder not face to face Friendship happens shoulder to shoulder, not face to face. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it in this little book. That's Caleb's book now. Though we can have erotic love and friendship with the same person, in some ways there is nothing less like a friendship than a love affair. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends do not usually talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face to face, absorbed in one another, but friends stand side by side, absorbed in some common interest. The very condition for having friends is that you want something else besides friends. The very condition for having friends is that you want something else besides friends. If someone asks, do you see the same truth as I? And your honest answer is, I don't really care about the truth. I just want you to be my friend. No real friendship can start. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Friendship happens shoulder to shoulder, which means the more you love, the more possible it is for you to grow in friendship. The more you care about everyone and everything. Today, Russell Wilson got traded to the Denver Broncos. And because I love professional football and the Seattle Seahawks, I received dozens of phone <laughs> calls and texts and Instagram messages and Marco Polos about it from people whose cares, in some kind of Venn diagram way, overlap with mine. And they reached out to a large text group. I said, if you really love me, you'll leave me alone today. That's what I said, okay? Um, and, 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 but here's what, and, and, and for every single one of them that I spoke with, and even maybe the ones that I haven't yet, because I got a bunch of unanswered stuff on my phone, but I, but I saw some names. For every single one of these people that reached out, you know what happened? Our friendship grew a little. Maybe it was just a small amount, but it actually grew. It grew because we were shoulder to shoulder for just a moment caring about something else together. And if that can happen through a conversation about a professional athlete, how much more can that happen on a spring break mission trip where you're serving shoulder to shoulder with a peer? How much more can that happen with two people who are shoulder to shoulder in their service to the Lord? This is the greatest life hack regarding friendship. Y'all, if you're gonna, I mean, th- this is like, I don't often give like a point, okay? Okay. I like to take some time, okay? We're gonna have some, we're gonna tra- we're, you're all fellow travelers with me on Tuesday nights, okay? Um, but here you go, okay? Greatest life hack regarding friendship care about a lot. Care about a lot. In the words of another hero of mine, do not limit your capacity for joy. Our culture has for too long celebrated cynics. And there is some strange desire to be snooty and therefore elite. Which simply means you just cut yourself off from the possibility of friendships with a ton of people. Which also means you've cut yourself off from some of the possibilities of love on display. Why would you do that? Learn to love a lot. Why would you champion loving less? Caring about less. Narrowing the field of things that I like in life when God has made the cosmos for you to enjoy. Friendships can form around movies and board games and rock climbing, around comic books and hairstyles and old cars. Friendships are forged around a common love for rhetoric and paint colors and trees, around musical artists and clothing styles and your favorite fast food joints. If you want friends, learn to love other things. Friendships are formed shoulder to shoulder, not face to face. And how good is Jesus at this? He cares about everything. He even suggests that he literally cares about every single hair on your head. There's this famous passage in Matthew chapter 10. I hope you've heard about it. I hope we bring it up all the time. I don't think we've brought it up enough this year. We should bring it up more, okay? Where where Jesus says, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we often meditate on this passage because of the sweetness and remembering that there is more levity and rest in following Jesus than we can imagine. That whatever you're carrying without him, it's lighter to carry his load. But we give weight to that, but I think we give too little weight to the image of the yoke. Yoke is this, this piece of wood that would go over the shoulders of two beasts of burden. It would like be, be uh, kind of carved out with two, you can imagine like a cow or something like that. It'd be carved to sort of go over their shoulders perfectly. And yokes are always, um, and not well, and, then they would have for sure, they would have actually been specifically built for a specific animal. That would have been the image in the first century person's mind, that if Jesus says he has a yoke for you, it means that this thing that he's hitching you up to is perfectly fit for your shoulders. It's not something that doesn't fit well. It's something that's perfectly fit for your shoulders. And as Jesus summons this image, I want you to imagine what, what, what that image is. That's saying that Jesus wants you to work shoulder to shoulder with him. Side by side with him, as if he wants you to join up with him, hauling the load he's hauling. That saying yes to him is to accept this kind of relationship where you work side by side in something that looks like friendship or co-laboring, which is pretty wild. I don't know if you think about what kind of relationship God wants with you, but I don't, I, I, I'm guessing that you probably don't think he wants to be your friend. I mean, we use language like that sometimes, some people call Jesus their best friend and we act sometimes like he's a little like magic genie we pray for him for certain things. And we have all kinds of ways we image God, I think, for sure. But to actually think that the Lord of the universe wants to work side by side with you and not over you. And the more you become like him, side by side with him, caring about the things he cares about, having eyes like he does, a mind like he does, a heart like he does, a posture like he does, The more you become like him, the more you are going to love everyone and care for everything. And the more that happens, the more you're open to the love of friendship. Because friendships form around common things, common loves, common interests, shoulder to shoulder looking at the same thing. And the more you're open to friendship, the more you're open to these glorious manifestations of love. You see the difference shoulder-to-shoulder versus face-to-face? If you haven't ever experienced this, you can start noticing it. Every time friends stop looking at this thing out here and go, are we friends? The whole thing's on shaky ground. The road to friendship is paved by loving as many things as you can. Friendship happens shoulder-to-shoulder, not face-to-face. So learn to love as much as you can in this life. Second, the second reflection is this. Friendship is free. Friendship is free. Friendship is about giving and receiving, not taking. It's a radical gift exchange. That's what friendship is. It's not something we can steal or buy or bargain for. Think of an open hand versus a grasping fist. This is friendship. This is friendship. This is is something altogether different. It's definitely not friendship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer laments. I actually, I, I haven't thought to ever say this before. One of the reasons that I quote people, I try to minimize the quote length so that you can follow along, but I actually like to drop the names. For, a, for some of you in the room who like certain ideas, I, I want you to have rabbit trails you can run down later, but I also just want friends. Um, and I'm like, if I keep dropping names, then those of you who like these people one day will be like, hey, let's talk. And I'm like, sweet, friends. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, it's just inviting you guys into other things that I love. Like, some of you have commented on this. you like, you have too many favorite Bible passages. And I'm like, I don't have enough. You know? Like, I, I, I have, how many heroes are is, is too many for you? I hope by the end of God's redemptive purposes, I hope every single person he made is one of my heroes. And if they're not, it's only because I don't know them well enough yet. And my posture is not not Christ-like enough yet. Anyway, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's one of my heroes. He laments how many of us don't love our friends, even though we say we do. We're mad at them because what we really love is our dream of friendship. And they're not living into it. And so we love our dreams more than the reality that God gives us in one another. He has this volatile line in response that he says, God hates the visionary dreamer. It's intense. He's talking about people who love their dreams more than they love their neighbor. Bonhoeffer is crying out for our friendships to be founded upon gratitude, not demands, which is another way of saying freedom. The moment you put the squeeze on your friendships is the moment that your friendship's in jeopardy. You know, when I, when I tell my friend, like, I don't feel like you're being a very good friend lately. I can say that. I'm just risking it. The moment I leave a voicemail, nobody does that anymore. But in, back in my day, we left voicemails. All your voicemail boxes are full now, so you don't have to deal with it. Um, but, but back in, but when, when I have, I've had friends that left me voicemails that said, hey, how come you never call me back? And, and, it's, and, and this is not a good thing in me because my friendship to them ought to be free. But I have to fight against this thing which says, man, pro, Probably I'm less likely to call you back now, because you just put the squeeze on it. You know, like when you introduce demands into friendship, when it's not free anymore, the friendship's in jeopardy. You can you can do that. You can put the squeeze on a friendship, but you're just moving into something other than friendship now, and it might risk the friendship. This night, when Jesus called his disciples his friends, that's the passage we read tonight out of John 15. This was the night he was betrayed. It's the night his very friends betrayed him and abandoned him and he knew it was coming. He offered it to him anyway. Over and over, if you read ahead, Jesus asked his friends to pray for him in his greatest hour of need. And over and over again, they fell asleep. He asked and he asked and he asked, but he never took. He asked from his father He never took. He offered. He never demanded. Jesus offers his friendship to people who would betray him and abandon him and hide. He offers it to people who would bear responsibility for his death. That's how free his friendship is. It costs, of course, but it costs him, not his friends. And he commands us to love others as he has loved us, which means that we too ought to offer and receive friendship freely. I do love my friends at my cost, but not theirs. If there is any constraints on our friendships, they're self-imposed constraints. If there's any honor to be given, it is to be given away. That is the only way friendship works. I've heard multiple examples of this today. Oh, it's so beautiful today. I heard one man in this room picked up another man after a car wreck late last night. One, a group of core group people in this room uh, pulled together their money to buy a gift for another core group member of theirs. Um, I, I One student in here helped pay the cost of another student's mission trip for spring break. And all of this stuff is so beautiful when it's offered freely. But if I take any of those examples for just a minute and I introduce demands... Hey, you said we're friends, which means you better pick me up and not ignore me. Maybe that works. No, truly. I mean, you can maybe guilt or like force somebody into, with, like, conscience-wise, but your friendship's in jeopardy right now. You see? You can maybe say, hey, if you guys really loved me, you would buy me this thing. <laughs> you can say that, you know? Um, I just, you're risking friendship when you do that. If somebody said, hey, you know, you're not going on this mission trip, so you should pay for me to go. Or started to try to leverage their friendship to get them to do it. Do you see how it's in jeopardy? I've seen so many beautiful examples. And the reason that they're so beautiful is because in every single instance, what I heard, maybe it's not as beautiful if you get down to the minutia, but I, it sounds really beautiful to me what I heard, that, that, that somebody or some people paid a cost unto themselves to do something free for somebody else. They, they, they Think about how this works together. There's an agape kind of love, this sacrificial, generous love toward another in the service of friendship. And Jesus says, now that, that is where great love is on display. Greater love has no one than that. You see? It sure makes it difficult if one of us is a bad friend, okay? I know that, okay? If one of us becomes a curmudgeon who stops having inch. I'm a logophile, it's one of my favorite words. Uh, a, who st- if one of us becomes a curmudgeon who stops having interests, who just stops caring about things, I, st- I don't care about anything else anymore. I'm bored with everything and nothing interests me. That's tough to be friends with that. Or somebody who ceases to just, just ceases to love things, you know, like is what I'm trying to say. Or somebody who's less fond and full of wonder in the world, and especially if one of us begins to make the other person pay a cost for being a friend. I'll gladly pay the cost so long as you're not demanding it. You know, it is, is, man, I know, y'all, it's really hard to be friends with somebody who is not offering that back, and friendship does require often, except for in Jesus, it's so radical because he is a friend to us even when we're not friends to him. And you can do that. I have one friend in my life that I had to work at for nine years, I actually told him, some of you know the story maybe, I told him at a birthday party in 2007, I'm going to be your friend, and he said, I don't like pastors, <laughs> and he walked away, um, and I don't know why, that was actually just in my head, that was what I remembered, I don't, I'm not trying to say anything about smoking, um, but, uh, but I was like, that's okay. I know you don't like pastors. I don't like you though, you know? And, uh, and, and I, I did have this sense and I think self-awareness is really required for almost every relationship in this world to be healthy. Self-awareness is a big deal. Um, but I had this sense, I'm like, I actually think, I think we have a lot of shared interests. And I think that, that we like talking about those shared interests together and that's a lot of where chemistry comes from. You know, and I was like, so in other words, I think we got a ton of chemistry. And, and I know you don't like pastors because you were really like hurt by some folks in your past, but like, I really think we'd be good friends, you know? And, and so I'm willing to play the long game. And it took me nine years. Um, and, and he may have never turned a corner and said, man, I now want to offer you friendship too. Matter of fact, but at one point he even said to me, word for word, do you know why I'm your friend? Because you never made me pay a cost. It's actually what he said. He's one of my best friends today. Like, I adore him, I love him. He struggles a lot from his own history to not be friends. I've had times where his wife calls me up and she's like, Jason, he won't ask, but he would love for you to come over right now. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. You know, what I mean? And you know, he didn't demand it, so it's totally okay. You know what I mean? His wife did. Uh, and uh, and, 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 I, and I still, I mean, I want, I want more out of our friendship, and that's okay. I look at our texts, this won't surprise any of you, but my texts are a little bit longer than his texts. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like... Come on, man, you know, you know what? If it takes the rest of my life, if it takes the rest of my life, I wanna give you friendship, you know? Like, I promise you it works. It can be hard if somebody doesn't wanna return that, I know, but friends, if you try to take it rather than just receive it, if you try to demand it rather than just receive it, you'll ruin it. First thing, you gotta love a lot. Friendships are built on common loves, not on staring at each other and saying, will you be my friend? That might be an okay way to start, okay? But not, they're not built on that. There's nothing, else, there's nothing for your friendship to be about if you don't have any other interests. But second, it's always got to be free. You can't, you can't have a record of who's done this and they've done that and who's done that. Like with my friends, we can't do this thing where you paid last time, I gotta pay this time. I'm like, no, no, everything's free. Everything's free. And the most beautiful friendships, of course, are when both people are doing that. You know. But you can only take your own side of it. You see what I'm saying? Okay, I'm just trying to give you guys some like really basic life hacks for friendship because these are the kinds of relationships within which Jesus said love is on most display. When agape love is offered in service of a friend. Holy cow. If we do this, we open ourselves up to that kind of love Jesus says has no equal. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for his friends. You friend of Jesus... This is how he loves you. That's a whole, I should, I should maybe, right now I'm thinking maybe the whole sermon should have be on that. How much Jesus has said he's a friend to you. All those things that he doesn't demand, he doesn't take. He sh- all the things you care about, he cares about actually, do you know that? Jesus says take all the desires you have and offer them to the Father. Don't, don't edit them, don't stuff them. You don't have to rank them. He cares about everything you care about too. He cares about it all. Bring it all to Him. And He gives away Himself to you freely at His own cost. This is how He loves you, and He's invited you to love others this way, shoulder to shoulder and free. That is where love is most on display. Let's take a minute, and I want you guys... um, I want, you just to refl- I want you to reflect on whether or not it's easy or difficult for you to believe that Jesus considers you a friend of his. And if that is easy for you, or if you do believe that, then give him thanks for that. And if that's hard for you, ask why. we will take a minute, I'll pray, and then we'll come to the Lord's table together.